And our speaker tonight is one of those people who uh, does a lot of his work on the Internet, and his, many of his essays, very thoughtful essays, are, are, uh, are up there. And, but, the, but the area he'd like to talk to us t tonight about is uh, something that I guess we're all exposed to, and that's movies. Not just the movies that you see if you uh, pony up whatever it is, $8 at the local theater, but the movies that are fed to us over, uh, over television. Usually the movie of the week, uh, often with taxpayers' money. And these movies are ones that deal with whatever you want to call it, the right, the patriotic movement, the extremists, or, or whatever. And these are movies that, that, that are there to shape public understanding. Because we know that most people uh, don't ever get close to a political movement. Very few people actually ever join a political movement of whatever stripe. Uh, uh, a slightly larger number, maybe perhaps right away for literature and, and never join, but most people seem to learn what they learn from the mass media. So it's very important to know what they're saying about whatever you want to call it, the patriotic, the populist movement, uh, what might or might not be us. What are the media masters trying to get across to, to Joe and Jane Average, the type of person who never goes uh, out to a political meeting, who never uh, gets a piece of literature, who never even clicks onto the uh, to a website on the internet, who, whose only impression of a of certain political groups will be what that person sees on the boob tube. That's what our speaker tonight is going to talk about. Uh, Steve Dumas is a graduate of Carleton University in political science and uh, uh, with, most people, uh, with most people if they were introduced to me as somebody who's a graduate of political, in political science at a Canadian university, I would say he's probably an ignoramus. Uh, but uh, but uh, Steve is, a, is an exception to the rule. Steve has not only uh, been through the university courses, but he has also uh, done a great deal of uh, participation and and uh, and study of political movements himself. He's had a, he's had an involvement going back over over a decade in the political process. So he brings both practical experience and maturity, plus the academic learning. So uh, Steve is going to offer us tonight uh, a, a night at the movies with Steve Dumas. Without any further ado, uh, from the from the coldest place in this great dominion, Ottawa, Steve Dumas. Uh, tonight's topic, I'll just pull this back, is the movies. But before I get into uh, specific movies, I have a couple that I'm upon which I'm going to focus. I just want to talk about uh, some cultural background or intellectual and social background that has led to where we are right now. Um, someone before I uh, started speaking came up to me and suggested that we're in a war situation and that she has decided to fight back and she had taken this position a long time ago and I think that's a very insightful way of putting it. I do believe, and I've said this before when I've spoken at CIFAR meetings, that we are in fact in the midst of a cultural war and uh, nowhere is this battle being lost by the pro-majority uh, patriotic movement than in the movie theaters. It really is quite stunning how the progressive, what I call the progressive minority coalition or the, and or the social justice crowd actually dominates very heavily and very strongly in that medium. It's almost to the point where I wouldn't even call it a war. It's a veritable uh, cultural holocaust, we could say, if we want to throw that term around. Uh, small h, I don't want to be sued for copyright, violating copyright here. 
Anyway, I just want to just review some of the uh, the evolution of the cultural war because I have this this war divided into decades. I think we would all agree that there was a major breakthrough for what we call the social justice crowd. And let, please let me put that in quotations, particularly justice, the sort of minority-centric, pro-minority, anti-racist crowd, uh, pro-feminist, pro-homosexual. I think we get the picture of about whom I'm, to whom I'm referring. They made a very huge breakthrough in the 1960s with the hippie movement and the various, what the academics call the new social movements. And they really did get their teeth into society and they established a foundation back in the 60s. From the 60s till now, there have been various levels of reinforcement of their version of what they would call social progressivism. Uh, there were some major breakthroughs, if, because the topic is movies, in terms of entertainment, there were some major breakthroughs in the 1970s uh, in terms of movies and television shows. And what, what we get a lot from the progressive social justice perspective is we get the way in which they see things, their social vision, their view of the world is reflected in much of the entertainment that we have today in the form of movies and television shows going back to the 1970s. And what this perspective is primarily is a construction or a, a notion of what's in their minds. It's the progressive minority perspective of reality which shows through in the media, in classrooms, and in movies, and so forth. And I'm going to demonstrate it later on in movies. But what this perspective is primarily is this, this duality, this sort of Marxist vision that society is divided into groups. Usually, um, there's usually a dichotomous division of groups. In other words, there's a one side versus another. And what, what primarily this vision is, is that certain groups dominate, certain groups have the power, have the privilege, and other groups do not. Other groups are oppressed, downtrodden, underprivileged, and so forth by the groups which have all the power and the privilege and so on. It's a very, very simplistic way of looking at the world. But they have managed to take this vision or their vision of this duality or dichotomy and they've managed to imprint it pretty well everywhere within society, within all the institutions, within classrooms, within the media, and particularly within theaters and on television. And what they did, they really got the, the ball rolling in the 1970s with shows such as, do you remember David Carradine and Kung Fu? Remember the martial artist who killed the Chinese emperor after the emperor had killed his master Poe? You remember little Grasshopper? Yes, Grasshopper, you know. Uh, master, why are we here? That type of thing. Anyway, if you ever watched that series, David Carradine came to the United States to escape the price, the bounty that had been put on his head. And what the show consisted of primarily is David Carradine walking throughout the United States, going from town to town, and encountering this wall and this wave of white bigotry. He had to constantly fight white racism and the intolerance and the bigotry of the white Americans who were closed-minded and prone towards racial stereotyping and so forth. And it was really in the 70s which shows such as Kung Fu and of course you remember All in the Family with Archie Bunker, the prototypical white bigot who had all the wrong attitudes and you know, held all the wrong beliefs and so on and stereotyped minorities and said terrible things about them and so on. There were a tidal wave of such shows. Another one was Good Times. 
Do you remember good times with John Amos and Esther Roll, the struggling black family in, you know, in, in the inner city of Chicago that was trying to make it in the world, but they couldn't because they were black and white society and white intolerance just wouldn't let them get jobs. And I think one of the, uh, Michael, the son, was an artist or a writer and you know, he was having a hard time just because he was black. Then there was the movie Billy Jack. Do you remember that? The Aboriginal who was fighting the injustice in this native community and, you know, he was a great martial artist and he used to have to kick around the white bigots once in a while and, you know, the, the, the white townspeople were very mean and, 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 and horrible and bigoted and violent against the Aboriginals. And what I'm trying to get across here is that the progressive vision of this duality of the privilege sort of bigoted, violent, dominant groups oppressing and bashing the underprivileged, angelic, sacred and saintly minorities who are simply struggling to survive and you know to live but you know, all this white racism and this perpetual hatred just wouldn't let them. This is what we have reflected in our culture today. It, 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 it is something which so thoroughly dominates the airwaves, movies, television shows, classrooms, and so forth. And this is a war that started in the mid-1960s, got going in the 70s, and it wasn't just Billy Jack. There was probably the real backbreaker in terms of movies which portrayed this was the NBC documentary about called The Holocaust. And it was really after that. It was the Holocaust, and I think either shortly before or after, Alex Haley's Roots, which appeared on television, both of which were in series format. And it was after those two movies that the thought processes of the white majority within the Western world, particularly North America, shifted. And we started to change the way we thought about ourselves. Basically what happened is that the progressive minority coalition or the social justice crowd had convicted us. We became, collectively, we became racially and culturally convicted. And they reinforced and clearly established through these movies and these television shows amongst other propagandistic techniques and methods, they established white uh, white, the white majority and males uh, and heterosexuals as very demonic, bigoted, potentially genocidal, racist, violent, and everything else that's immoral and bad. And on the other side of the coin, they took minorities, racial minorities, religious minorities, sexual minorities, i.e. homosexuals, uh, and so on, and created virtual divinity out of them. So this dichotomy that started, basically, that really got its foot in the ground or its roots implanted in the mid-60s, by the late 70s, with these television shows, with these movies, and so on, and the media which changed, the media which itself, and the things it reported, very much reflected this, this duality or this, this division of good versus evil. So by the late 70s, I mean, this, this progressive vision, which, by the way, is simply an opinion, it's not fact. Uh, I was talking with Paul at dinner before this. We were basically tried and convicted and were supposedly guilty. It's a perspective. It's an opinion that these people have. And it's opinion, an opinion, a perspective which dominates. So we're sort of stuck with this vision of us you know, the white Gentile majority as potentially genocidal and bad and violent and insensitive and everything that's bad. We've basically had this embedded in our culture. 
in movies and I mean news reports and so on, this is the theme, this is the vision that thoroughly dominates. Which is ironic because when you're in a classroom at Carleton University or any other progressive university, when you're studying sociology or anthropology or political science or psychology, they say that our society is Eurocentric. In other words, it's white dominated and that we're always praising whites and you know our white ancestors and our white heritage and we ignore minorities completely and so on. They couldn't be more incorrect. They just couldn't be more incorrect. So we have a situation now where this we've had this progressive minority perspective of us, definition of us, strictly defined on their biased terms. We have this embedded throughout our institutions and throughout our culture. And we seem this perspective seems locked. It seems it dominates so thoroughly and it shows up in so many movies and so many television shows and so many documentaries. It's just solidified and cemented and we can't seem to do anything about it. We seem to be stuck in quicksand here. So this is what I'm here to talk about. I'm here to, I have got a couple of movies I want to get to a little later on and, and I want to demonstrate exactly how they do this, some of the techniques and the particular perspective that I describe. But what, what they do is, now that they've established this duality or this dichotomy of the good sort of sacred saintly minorities doing battle against the oppressive, genocidal, bigoted, violent majority groups, whites and men and heteros and so on, now that they've established this into the collective consciousness of society, um, I think it, I would say that it really, really got cemented sometime in the early 80s after the aforementioned movies. There's a whole lot of other people out there that have fallen for this kind of thing. And one of the reasons is because for decades they had been getting this. And what the people who promote this vision, this progressive vision do, is they pick on certain things in history. Primarily the Holocaust, slavery, subjugation of aboriginals, internship of the Japanese, Chinese head tax, you name it. They even made a movie about the riots at Christie Pitts which I think aired a couple of weeks ago on Global. So what they do is they do a couple of things. They pick their key historical victimological moments, which to them prove beyond refutation or beyond a doubt that you see what we're saying is true. And here is the hardcore evidence. And they pick these things and they just keep on repeating them and repeating them and repeating them and repeating them. For a non-thinking, non-patriotic person who watches this and gets this in his or her classrooms, they don't know anything else. All they know is what they've been getting, you know, off the documentaries on News World and Art, you know, the A&E channel, and when they go to their local theater. This is all they've been getting for all of their lives. Whites are bad. Whites are genocidal. Look at what we did to the aboriginals. We came. We raped the land. We tried to wipe them out. We didn't bargain in good faith. And we stood by while the Holocaust happened. We all have blood on our hands for the Holocaust. Canada, you know, we didn't do enough. Mackenzie King sent a ship called the St. Louis back to the ovens at Auschwitz. Isn't, aren't we just a terrible country? You see, what they want to do, the social justice crowd, and you must understand their motives in order to understand the movies and what they're doing, is they're not out to fight hate. They claim they're fighting racism and hate and intolerance, but what they're actually doing is they want to make us hate ourselves. They want to make us feel horribly about ourselves, 
about our heritage, about our collective identity, about our history. So what they do is they twist things and they slant things and they present things very, very selectively in order that we feel this way. This is what they are trying to do. And too many people, I think the problem is, is too many people have faith and trust in the social justice crowd who claim to be fighting hate and intolerance when in fact they're not doing that. They have an agenda that is much more sinister than the alleged sinister agendas of the people here or my supposed agenda or Paul's. Their agenda is to enrage minorities, reinforce victimhood, make them you know, uh, mistrust us collectively and it's supposed to make us feel demoralized. It's supposed to make us feel horribly about ourselves collectively. It's supposed to make us hate our history and so on and so on. And the sooner that people can understand that there is an agenda driving these movies and driving the entertainment industry, that this is not just objective reality, it's very subjective, and in my opinion, I would go as far as to say, it's a very, very hateful orientation. Trying to make a group, the white majority, hate itself and constantly telling it through movies and documentaries and news reports, look at how bad you've been. Look at what you did with the Japanese in World War II. And to take that, I mean, we're talking 50-something years ago. But these people don't forgive. They don't know what forgiveness is. They don't know, you know, what it is to forget and move on because they don't want to move on. They want to live in the past. They want to maintain old grudges. They want people to have animosity towards one another. This is what they want to do. And I'm of the opinion, and I believe this very strongly, that this is what they're doing with these types of movies. They're not balanced, and they make movies which only suit their agenda. They go on about, again, the Holocaust, slavery, aboriginals. When are we going to have a movie about the plight of the Palestinians? How many movies have we had about black South Africans being persecuted by the Afrikaners? And if we're going to play that card, when are we going to have a movie about the Palestinians? That's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. They go on about you know, what certain neo-Nazi skinhead types, like in the movie I'm going to examine later, American History X, do to poor old victimized African Americans. Well, what about the reverse? What about the many whites in the United States who have been killed by gangs like the Crips? What about the many whites who have been raped by black males disproportionately? You're never going to see such movies. So what they do, and I think this is very sinister, is they, they select which, what facts and what movies they're going to present to us and they're very selective and they won't allow certain movies that critique or criticize their sacred and saintly minority victim groups and they only promote the ones that are very much um, critical and very uh, hostile towards the white majority. And I mean, right now, I mean, what do we have right now at the theaters? If I see uh, Reuben Carter's face one more time, I think I'm going to throw a brick through my television set. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm channel surfing on Saturday, you know, and I come to, you know, CNN, and whose face do I see? It's Reuben Hurricane Carter. He was on Global the other day. He was on, was he on Canada AM? I'm not sure if he was on Canada AM. Then, man, you talk about ubiquitous. What we're going to do is the next printing of the Webster's Dictionary is next to the term ubiquitous. We're going to put a picture of uh, Reuben Carter's name. The guy is everywhere. And what they do with these movies is they select 
certain victims and they sort of vault them into sainthood. Like, I mean, I mean, Carter is being paraded around like Jesus Christ. Yeah, seriously, when, you know, when Reuben Carter... Did anybody here watch Off the Record with Michael Landsberg on TSN? Michael Landsberg... You watch that? Did you... Okay, Michael Landsberg... Is, is, Michael Landsberg is a host... He has a show on TSN. It's called Off the Record. It's a panel show. It's on 6 p.m. Uh, on TSN. And he has a panel of three guests, usually, and they talk about various issues. They've been talking about the John Rocker issue. I mean, you think this guy was Lucifer reincarnated. I mean, you know, I got an email. I'm on an emailing list. The same day that John Rocker made his comments, either the day before or after the same day, there was a white producer from WNBC in New York who was brutally raped and sodomized by a black man so badly that she had to be hospitalized and while he was raping her he was hurling racial insults at her did anyone hear of this? yeah, yeah you heard of it because you're on the internet and you got it via email and you went to the website so did I no one else has heard of this but we all know what John Rocker said in other words, when one of us is brutally raped and beaten and insulted, it doesn't matter and it's not newsworthy. But when a 25-year-old uh, redneck, you know, uh, starts running at the mouth, it becomes almost an international story for over a month. Rocker made his comments over a month ago. Over a month ago. And we're still talking about John Rocker. And I, I saw an interview with Henry Aaron the great, the home run king in Major League Baseball, who suggested that someone might even try to kill John Rocker. And I mean, they, they ordered him to undergo psychological testing? I mean, this, this is just, we've gone mad here. So this is the kind of situation in which we find ourselves. We have a woman who's brutally raped and hospitalized and is insulted racially while she's being raped. Um, did I say, yeah, insulted, yeah. And then we have a guy who makes comments and the transgression of the inappropriate comments is more newsworthy than the rape. So the reason I bring this up is I want to impress upon you that the media are extraordinarily selective in what they present to us and what they, what they present to us is designed to mold our thought processes in a specific, in a, in a, in a particular way. They're not balanced. They do not, they're not objective, and that what we see in movies, what we see in documentaries, is essentially a reflection of what they're thinking. It's in their minds, and because they control, it's not, it's not a bunch of white men in suits who control Hollywood or who control the media, although that's what they say. It is members of their cause who control the media and who control the people who make movies. So what I'd like to stress, and I can't stress it enough, is that what we're getting is what these people are thinking. It works with a lot of very average people because I've spoken to people about one of the movies about which I've written, American History X. I've spoken to, quote, non-patriotic, non-politically correct people. And the reaction was, oh my God, that was one hell of a movie, wasn't it? Did, did, did you see what they did to... Did anyone, has anyone seen American History X? Okay, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just give you a little plot summary. It's about th these brothers, Derek and Danny Vineyard, who get become transformed into these very wild, sort of skinhead neo-Nazi types. One of them, the, uh, the, the, the main actor, the star of the film, Ed Norton, becomes a leader within the sort of neo-Nazi slash skinhead movement. And the movie is about 
the process, it's not linear. It doesn't start, it doesn't sort of start here chronologically and end. It's sort of like Pulp Fiction where, you know, you get certain moments in the film at certain points. You might get a later part earlier in the film and an earlier part later, so it's not in chronological order. But it's about these two skinheads who eventually become reformed. We, sh you know, we see how bigoted they are. We see the hatred. We see the violence. And we're all supposed to look at that and, oh my God, gasp. Look at what these terrible whiteies are doing again. Aren't we awful? I mean, we're at it again, you know? Anyway, so the movie is about the racial rehabilitation. No alliteration intended, I might add, but the racial rehabilitation of Derek and Danny. And this is really interesting. Do you want to know where Derek, the main character, gets rehabilitated? In prison. He's sent to an American prison you know, these bastions of racial tolerance, American prisons, there's no turf wars, there might be, but if there are turf wars in American prisons, according to this movie, it's because of the white bigots and the neo-Nazis. It's not the blacks who are intolerant, nor the Hispanics, it's the white prisoners. Anyway, so he meets this, this fellow black prisoner with whom he's assigned to fold laundry. His name is Lamont. And of course, the prisoner is benevolent, he's nice, he's kind, he has a sense of humor. And at first, Derek, who's the, you know, the quintessential white bigot, doesn't really want to talk to him. And he's not answering you know, Lamont's questions, and he's being very cold and distant. But eventually, Lamont penetrates Derek. And he sees, well, you know, black people aren't that bad after all. Maybe I've been lied to in prison. I mean, the guy is, this, this guy Lamont is so angelic. I mean, what the hell is he doing in prison? But of course he was put into prison because, you know, he was wrongly in prison. What happened is, um, there was a bit, I guess, during the L.A. riots. I'm not sure if it was during the L.A. riots, but there was some looting. He happened to be in a store and he picked up a television. And the arresting officer shook him or grabbed one of his arms and the television fell on the officer's foot. So, six years. Six years in prison just for that, even though he wasn't to blame for the television falling on his foot. The implication being, of course, that the justice system never gives blacks a break. I mean, O.J. did not kill those two people. You know, O.J. was innocent. And the fact that he was even charged, the fact that he went through that trial, was an indication of the white supremacy in the judicial system, you see. We've got to re restructure our thinking here. So Derek, who wound up in prison, for killing uh, some members of the Crip gang, who in this film, okay, were portrayed as victims. The Crips, the same people who in 1998 had an initiation for some aspiring members to go out and kill a white person in order to join the gang. One Tracy Lambert, I'm not sure if her friend was killed, but I know that Tracy was ra brutally raped and beaten and killed because she was white. You probably didn't hear of that, but those on the internet have heard of it.